going to go into a new series called The Soul Care. And I want to show you how to take care of the most important part of who you are, your core, your center. Let me show you how important that really, really is. Soul Care. When I first saw the graphic, I thought, great graphic, but I don't want you to think that I'm talking about soul, mate, male, female. I want to talk about the core of who we are, our soul, and how we take care of that. But to do that well, I have to teach you something about who we are, at least from God's vantage point. In every religion that exists, whenever the followers of that religion build a facility in which to worship God, whether it's a, a Muslim mosque or a Jewish synagogue, or as we've done here, retrofitted a space, that place automatically is referred to as the house of God. Automatically. Whenever we do that, and it doesn't matter what religion we are, God's house. We can call it a temple, a synagogue, tabernacle. But in the mind, that is God's house. And that's true to some degree in that this is the house of God, but that isn't the greatest revelation of the house of God. The greatest revelation of the house of God is found in Genesis chapter 2. I believe it's verse number 7, where the Bible says, When God formed Adam, the man from the ground, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living soul. Another way of saying that is, the man became God's dwelling place. He became God's house. And in the purest sense, the human being has been designed to be a dwelling place for God. And I'm going to show you this throughout the scriptures. You and I were designed to be a dwelling place. So when you come to the New Testament, you shouldn't be surprised that they are filled with the Holy Spirit or the Spirit indwells them. The indwelling, the Spirit takes up residence because we are designed to be a house. The mistake that Adam made when he committed that breach and Eve committed that breach, the woman committed the breach, was they didn't realize that the breach that they committed would affect the main occupant of the house. And so when they sinned, what they did was they actually evicted God from the house. And God exited the house. And in God exiting the house, they began the dying process. In the day that they ate, they began to die. The occupant left the house. When Moses comes along in Exodus chapter 25, God instructs Moses to build for him a tabernacle. And God says, I will meet you in the tabernacle. And the tabernacle becomes now a restoration of the dwelling place that Adam forfeited. That's why the tabernacle will be seen in the Bible, specifically the Old Testament, as the house of God, the tent of meeting, or the dwelling place of God. But the tabernacle was temporary. It was a temporary structure. It was designed to restore for God a dwelling place that Adam forfeited. And they carried that tabernacle. Thus, when Moses finished the tabernacle, the glory of God filled the house, and they knew that God was resident in the house. Simple theology, simple truth. They took the tabernacle through the wilderness. In other words, God was dwelling with them. 
And he became to them Emmanuel, God with us. He carried the tabernacle into the place of promise. And when they got into the place of promise, hundreds of years later, Solomon built for God a temple. And the temple, you can find this in the books of First uh, and Second Chronicles, First uh, Kings, Second Kings. He builds a temple, and the temple becomes, watch, the continuity of what the tabernacle was. It became a dwelling place for God, it became a house that God lived in. Of course, when Solomon finished the temple, the glory of God filled the house, and God was in the in the house. But all of that is in the shadows of the Old Testament. That can't be what God intended because God never, listen to this, intended to live in a building. So when Jesus comes, I want you to get this, when Jesus comes, he is the fulfillment of what the tabernacle and the temple pointed to. He was the dwelling place of God. And he was so intelligent that he befuddled those who didn't understand because one day he stood outside, looked at the temple, all the marvelous stones, and he said to them, if you destroy this temple, I will raise it up in three days. They thought that he was talking about the temple that they could see, the physical building, and they said, how how, how are you going to do that? Herod spent 40 years building this temple, but the Bible said he spoke of his body. Because he was the dwelling place of God. I want you to get a hold of this truth. Humanity has been designed to be the dwelling place of God. That has to settle in your spirit so you think it through. That God would decide to take up residence, watch, in a wretch like me. That's something to consider, isn't it? In a finite, broken, sometimes dirty, sometimes strange house like this. And the promise of the New Testament is this. Unlike Adam, and that's why Jesus is the last Adam, the house that God truly wanted to live in. Unlike Adam, when you and I, who are designed to be that dwelling place through Christ, when you and I have God living inside of us, when we sin, because God has made a promise, he does not leave us. I want you to hear this. When we sin, he is not evicted from the house. Instead, he is grieved in the house. So this is one of the reasons why when we make mistakes, we have to, we have to do two things quickly. We, we've got to confess for his sake so he stops being grieved in the house. And we've got to forsake and ask for forgiveness so that we can begin to cleanse the house for the occupant that lives in the house. Having said all of that, I want to show you this thought. And the thought is simple. My house is God's house. This is where I want to start. My house, my being, I wouldn't even say my body, my being is God's dwelling place. It doesn't matter to me what shape you say you're in this morning, what condition you are in, I'm going to teach you that my house is God's house. Listen to what Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians. He says, know you not that we are the temple, there you go, of God. 
and that the Spirit of God does what? Dwells. Notice the words that the writer chooses. Dwell. Because you dwell in a dwelling place. You dwell in a, in a house. Know you not that you are the temple. The temple. Let's do three facts. And then we can move into the real meat of it. Three facts. Three facts about, about my house being God's house. My house is God's house. I'm thinking this over. God would live in me. I'm trying to make sense out of that. God would live in someone like me. That has to be an act of grace. That has to be mercy personified. Because when I think about who I am, some days I don't even want to live in me. That has to be mercy personified. The God of heaven and earth would choose that's condescension at its best. Come and live in me and walk in me with my attitude and listen to me when I'm complaining and stay with me when I'm messing up. What kind of God is that? This is why I believe Christianity is an offense because in most, most religions, the God of that religion does not do those things. Allah is true too transcendent to come and live with men. But the God of the scriptures comes and makes his abode in us. Robert, softly if you would, I hear you, God. I want everyone that is a believer, even if you're a guest, just to lift up your hands for a moment. Just to lift up your hands for a moment and think about that. That when I lift my hands, I'm not lifting it up to a God who is outside of me. When I pray, I'm not praying to a God who is distant from me. When I'm going through difficulties, I'm not going through it by myself. Lo, I am with you always, saith the Lord. Even when I stumble, I don't stumble on my own. God is with me. And his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. So I lift my hands to say thank you for dwelling in me. Thank you. I say thank you for tolerating me. Thank you for suffering along with me. Thank you for never forsaking me, God. I've given you ample reason to walk away but thank you for staying thank you Jesus thank you amen thank you never forget brothers and sisters no matter where you are that God is living on the inside let me show you the three facts about the house thank you Robert this is simple my house then is as God this is the image principle. So my house, at some point in the process, I'm going to show you how we can reflect God through our house. Not just the outside, but holistically. So God says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. My house is as God. And there's a journey, a process in reflecting God. Number two. My house is God's house. I've chosen another scripture. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16. Know ye not 
that your body is not yours. It belongs to God. So he buys you for a price. This is be- he buys you because in the world of spiritual real estate, you belong to him. <laughs> you do not belong to yourself and you certainly don't belong to the devil. So you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body and your spirit, which belongs to him. Can I teach you something? We are paid for. Then don't sell yourself. You're paid for. You see, when Jesus shed his blood, that was the redemptive price. Paid it. There was a price, Dalton, you know this. There was a shekel to come into the tabernacle. He paid the price. You're bought. And I want you to have this confidence. When he buys you, Paul uses the analogy of Jesus going down to the slave auction and buying us on the auction block. Then he looks at us and says, whom the son has made free. Free indeed. Let me be clear on that. You're not free free to do what you want. You're free to do what he wants. And that is true freedom. That's why when the worship leader was telling you to glorify him, that's what he bought you for. That's why he dwells in you to help you in the glorification process. The Spanish would say, mi casa es su casa. My house is God's house. Let me go one step further. And because my house is his house, I'm going to work hard. I don't always do it right to make him comfortable at home with me. That's really Christianity at its best. Making the occupant comfortable. Not annoying God with my choices, decisions, and behaviors, but making him comfortable living in the house. The third fact of the house is ultimately, if we do it right in this series, I'm going to show you how your house is designed to reveal God. So he just doesn't dwell on the inside. He wants everyone to know who's living there. So everywhere you go, he wants people to know there's someone living at that address. And so Paul says that he would sanctify our whole spirit, soul, and body blameless unto the coming of the Lord. Let's go now into this word. And I'm going to need you to put on your thinking caps for a minute and take me through here. Watch. I'm going to reference the tabernacle a lot because I think it's one of the greatest revelations of the house of God. The temple is, to me, uh, the, the child of the tabernacle. It's an incredible building that God tells Moses to construct. It's, it's, it's a three-dimensional house that houses God in different dimensions. And the reason why the tabernacle is divided up like that is because when you study yourself, myself, you will see that God has created us as three-dimensional beings. We are tripartite. Someone said, Pastor, do you believe that God is a trinity? I would say, yes, he is a trinity in the sense that I am triune. There are three dimensions to me, but all of them are me. And at the end of the day, I'm uniquely one. But I'm going to show you how we can go through these. And it's going to really show you some things about yourself. 
When you start with your first, can I say, dimension, it's the one that everyone can see. It's called your body. Your body reflects or represents the outer court of the tabernacle. One of the reasons why the tabernacle is covered with skins is because your body is covered with skin. And each of these dimensions, I'm going to show you that they are sensory. They're designed to sense things. So I'm going to show you. And you will say, that's basic, Pastor. I already know these basic things. Your body to God is the outer court of the house. It's what's on the outside. Move into this watch. My body is sensory in that it's designed to sense things that are in this world. So it picks up on things in this world, and God has given me, I'm going to show you, five sensory gates. So my body picks up on things in the world. If it's, if it's cold in this room, my body will sense that. It is not my spirit that tells me the temperature. It's my body. If, if you pinch me, my body will sense that feeling, that sensation. It will feel it because my body senses things that are, listen, outside. That's why the outer court was open to the above. It was outside representing your body. If you want to sense your world, you do this through your body. So your body has what I'm calling five sensory gates. And you will see that the tabernacle also has a gate to let you in. Your body has five sensory gates. My thought is this. The reason why God has given me five sensory gates is so that when I use those gates, I will realize that all of life is a grace from God. I want you to understand that. Let me explain that. When I use my senses, it teaches me that all of life is a grace from God. You say, I don't get that. Well, if you lose your eyesight, you will see how much it was a grace of God. If you can't hear any longer, you will see how much what we don't pay attention to because it's just something that's with us all the time. You'd see how much hearing is a grace from God. But here's the powerful thing. If one gate closes, do you know that your body has the ability to heighten another gate? So if you can't hear, all of a sudden your optical gate heightens. So people who can't hear, their sense of touch is heightened more than you and I. So the body has the ability to compensate in case one gate gets damaged or destroyed. Five sensory gates. Here they are. Very, very simple. The ears are one of the first gates designed to sense sound. And each of these gates, believe it or not, the Bible teaches you how to be careful in the use of those gates. So as you're detecting or sensing sound, Jesus will teach you, be careful how you hear. So, because it's a gate, it's an access point, it means that if you're going to take care of yourself, you should not listen to everything. Every sound is not edifying to your house. Every person talking is not edifying or designed to furnish your house. So you have to be careful how you hear. I'm helping someone, I know. There are things being said about you that you don't need to hear. <laughs> One writer said it like this, what other people think about you is none of your business. 
So not everything you hear, you have to grow to understand. What should I listen to that's going to furnish my house and edify my house? Be careful how you hear. The eyes are designed to sense images. They're optical. They're designed to sense images. And the eye is so powerful in that it has two perspectives that it uses. There's what I call directly in front of you. That's, that's what you should focus on, what's directly in front of you. But at the same time, what's directly in front of you is also governed by what is in your peripherals, what is not directly in front of you. And the Bible teaches you that you can be aware of things, but not necessarily have to focus on those things. And just in your natural life, I'm looking at this brother right in the back, but I know that there's somebody over here, somebody over here, but I can focus on, on him. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Your nose senses smell. It's actually a, a metaphor for discernment. You can pick up what's in the atmosphere. You can Fragrances are in the atmosphere. Odors are in the atmosphere. Things that you can't see, but you can smell. You know, someone walks in the room, you don't see their perfume. You don't see their cologne, but you can certainly discern it. The nose picks up smell. It discerns atmospheres. The mouth, I, I, I struggled with this one because I believe that the mouth senses thought, but you would say it senses taste, yes, on one level. But the mouth really senses thoughts because that's what words are. They're the issuing of thoughts. But you can use taste as well too. And this is one of my favorite scriptures because here the writer says, God, I need you to do me a favor. Set a watch before my mouth and put some guards at the doors to my lips. So that when I do pray, my prayer is like incense. And when I do lift my hands, it's like the evening oblation. So what goes on with my mouth can affect my worship. It can impact my prayer. The things I spend my time talking about is going to affect the ability that I have to lift my hands. And then I have touch. Touch senses anything that's material. You touch something. It's material there. That's pretty basic stuff, isn't it? Simple stuff. Now, here's the thing about your body. Because your body's outside, your body's exposed. It's the only part of you that's truly exposed to people. Let me show you something. The rest of yourself, you can hide. And that's why the tabernacle, when you move from the outer court, you get into rooms that are hidden to the eye. So the rest of yourself, you can hide, but the body, you really can't hide it. Everyone sees it. So the first thing you should understand is everyone is judging you based on what they can see. So the body is constantly being judged. And so one of the ways that you can get past this is Paul says, present your body a living sacrifice so that you can prove certain things about what God desires for you because people are always judging you based on what they can see. I will show you that God will not do this, but human beings do this all the time. Don't ask someone to look at your heart. They can't see it. Don't ask them to see your mind. They can't see it. They're going to see your body. And the second thing in this is your body is exposed, so you should make sure that your body is always being washed. What do I mean by that? Being governed by the water of God's word. 
And if you are good with your Bible, you will know that I just took you past the brazen altar and I just took you past the laver to deal with the outer court. That's your body. And that's first level stuff. The reason why I say it's first level stuff is because I and many of us, we spend a lot of time on the outer court. <laughs> Have you ever thought to yourself this? I bathe every day, or at least I should. <laughs> Did you hear what I just said? Some of us bathe twice a day, morning and night. Ask yourself, how often do you wash your soul? And how often do you wash your spirit? Because the tendency is always to focus on that which is, it's not that it's not important, but the least important, the outer court. My body is also a revealer. I'll, I'll get there in a minute. I, don't, I can't do that. But let's go to the soul because this is really what the message is about. My soul is actually God's holy place. And by the time we're finished in 10 minutes, I'm going to show you that true spirituality is taking care of the soul. True spirituality is not taking care of the spirit because you can't take care of the spirit. God takes care of the spirit our assignment is to take care of the soul so what then is the soul what what is this soul thing it isn't something that gives me more rhythm it's not something that allows me to dance better it's a lot deeper than that look at what the soul might be my soul is sensory in that it senses who i am this is my personality. I know who I am in my core or in my soul. Often I will try to tell people that if you look at my dress, that's me. That's not me. If you look at how I style my hair, that's me. That's not me. My core is my soul. Who I am is my soul. My core. My core then is my center. What my soul is designed to do, it's designed to tell me who I am. That's why it's hidden to the eye. And this is why when God deals with me, he does not look on the outward. He looks in the soul. If you're going to be honest with yourself, now I'm up here, blue suit, shiny shoes, this haircut... That's not me. That's what I have put on. And one of the danger is many people put on stuff. That's not really them. So when God gets ready to deal with us, he bypasses the suit, bypasses the shoes. He goes into the holy place to see who you are. If you want to know who you are, I'm going to show you in just a minute. And then be honest with yourself, and you can discover who you are by watching. Notice, when you move into the soul, just like the tabernacle, what you're doing is you're leaving the outside, you're leaving the body, but you're going to what I'm calling the first level of spirituality. The soul is spiritual in that it is immaterial. If you ask somebody to do an ultrasound on your mind, they can't find it. If you ask them to do some sort of scan on your heart, not the organ, but your heart that you talk about, that you feel, they can't find it because the soul is the first level of spirituality. To get 
there in the tabernacle, I have to go beyond a veil. And I go into this place where God furnishes this place with three articles that really point to what goes on in my soul. So spirituality has to consist of understanding the soul. Somebody says, well, there's, there's a whole lot of issues going on with mental health. Well, you have to make a decision. Is mental health hormonal? Is it something wrong with the brain? Is it something wrong with the cells? Or is it something wrong with the mind? If it's the mind, you better not write me a prescription. You can't deal with something that can't be seen by giving it something that can be seen. So in a lot of cases, when people are talking about mental health, I think they need to stop and define exactly what are you talking about? If it's hormonal, then yes, we can bring some balance there. But if it's my heart, you can't give me a pill to deal with the pain that I feel in my heart when someone breaks my heart. Let's go into the tabernacle and let's go watch. Watch this. My soul is tripartite because God is tripartite in my soul. There are three articles there. You know this very well, scholars. Inside the holy place, there's a, a lamp, there's a table, and there's an altar. Each of those levels point to something in your soul that teaches you who you are. Here they are. Ready? Number one, my mind. I've gone to the most important one of them all. My mind is actually reflected by this altar that's in the holy place. I said, how do you know that, Pastor? Because when I study that altar, I realize that that altar is designed to constantly be burning and sending up something to God. And I look deeply at my mind, I realize that my mind, whether I'm sleeping, whether I'm awake, my mind is constantly deliberating. My mind is always thinking. My mind sometimes, if I'm not careful, will not rest. And that's why I can sleep and still wake up and I'm tired. Because my mind is always thinking. Always deliberating. If you want to know who you are, take a look at your thoughts. Step out of yourself for a minute and look at your thoughts. You will see because as you're thinking, so you become. This altar is critical. I want to teach you one more thing before I move to the other two. And I'm almost done. Where God positions the furniture in that holy place of my soul also teaches me how each of these levels relate to him. He takes the altar and he says to Moses, put the altar, if you have a picture, you can see it. He says, put the altar by the curtain that leads to the Holy of Holies where I dwell. And I said, well, God, that's interesting because if I were walking through the tabernacle, I would pass the candlestick first. That's my choices and decisions. I would pass the table. That's my heart and desires and emotions. Then I would come to the altar. That's my thinking. And then from the altar, I move into you. So then I realized something. If the devil wants to stop me from connecting to God, it's not my heart that he bothers. It's not my will. It's not even my body. He goes after my mind. So then 
I'm intelligent enough to understand that the Christian war is a battle for the mind. Yes, yes, yes. It's a war for the mind, Romans 7.25. Then with the mind, we serve God. Whatever is going on, it's not my mouth now. Whatever is going on in my mind determines if I can connect or disconnect from God. It's got me thinking crazy thoughts. It's got me thinking that I'm not worthy to lift my hands. So therefore, my hands feel like a ton of bricks. He's got me feeling like I should be hiding. So I'm going to hang my head and be ashamed when God says, would you let this mind be in you? Because the way you think determines whether or not you can connect with me. I'm going to show you how to take care of your mind on the journey. Soul care. The second level of your soul is your heart. This is that table that sits there. That table upon which there's always bread. It's a beautiful thing because as you read the Bible, you realize that my heart is a table. And he will write his laws on the table of my heart. It's in my heart that I'm always desiring. It's in my heart, watch, that my appetites can be found. Do you see the wisdom of God? He puts bread on a table to show me that in my heart I can find my appetites and desires. Out of my heart comes my emotions. This is feelings on a different level. Emotions are not when someone pinches me and I feel it. That's materiality. Feelings at this level is when something is in my heart. And it's a pain that doesn't matter what. I can't seem to address that by anything physical. This is why when your heart is broken, it is only God that can heal your heart. Because it is here that my desires are, my appetites. Can I show you something? Where your treasure is, that's where we find your heart. And notice I told you before, when God looks at you, he doesn't look at the outside to find you. He looks at the heart. I'm going to show you how we can take care of the heart in just a moment. And then I have one more article. There's a candlestick there. And that candlestick represents my will. My choices and my decisions. That candlestick is lit and it's burning. And then why, why it's lit and burning? It's because the lamp lights the way for me. Because that's what my choices do. My choices determine the path that I will take. And in my soul, in this three-dimensional part of me, my mind is always thinking. My heart is always hungry for something. And my will is always trying to make a decision. That's where spirituality takes place. Because if I can somehow manage that area, I haven't gone to the holy of holies if i can manage that area of the soul everything else will take care of itself i didn't teach you this but i will if you go back up to the body remember i told you that god is just like us if you go back up to the body that's actually a picture of god as the sun the revealer if you come to the soul it's actually a picture of the holy spirit 
taking what is oh let me show you i gotta do it this way let's do it this way your spirit then we'll stop here your spirit we won't do much on this because it's not about your spirit this series it's about your soul but in your spirit is the holy of holies and there in your spirit it senses god your spirit is designed in fact i will show you this your spirit is where god literally if i could use this language sits down and dwells and your spirit senses god that's why in the tabernacle there's only one article in the holy of holies the ark of the covenant only god sits in your spirit even the traffic of life is not supposed to come into your spirit only god sits there and in your spirit you actually have this picture of the father that's the leader of who you are your spirit is the leader of who you are flowing out through your spirit through your soul rather out into your body when we go into this message i'm going to focus on one area because i believe with all my heart that the struggles that i have you have the spirituality that we talk about it's not in our spirit it's not in our body it's in our soul and i want to show you how to take care of the soul so that brothers and sisters the mind that you're supposed to have you will have that mind the heart that god wants you to have you're going to have that heart and the will that he wants you to have you're going to have that will everything i just said i heard a scripture flash in my head but the greatest one i heard god say create in me a clean heart and renew the right spirit in me then i'm going to show you something you will understand why when people say well so and so was in the spirit but they're really mean it's not a spiritual issue as we think it is it's a soul issue see so and so is having promiscuity issues it's not a spirit issue it's a soul issue so and so cannot forgive someone it's an issue of the soul and the person who has taken care of the soul i'm going to show you that that is a person who is spiritual would you stand with me in this brief moment my soul doth magnify the lord i want my soul to be right isn't that interesting when people say before i die i want my soul to be right god lives within us now i'm going to show you how we're going to work out this soul issue take your hands brothers and sisters i always tell you i hope you never get tired and lift them up last week i had asked them but i was behind a little bit and i i missed my cue but i wanted us to sing lord prepare me to be a sanctuary but the work god is not on my body now and the work is not in my spirit you're there the work is in my my soul i'm praying for us today i'm praying for my own life that those furnishings of my soul mind heart and will would be cared for by the spirit and the word of god every hand that's raised right now i'm praying for soul care that who you are will be who god 
made you to be. Where there are broken pieces, God will begin to mend in the deep places of the soul. Where there are challenges and weaknesses, imperfections of the soul, God, make us a sanctuary. I want you to lift your hands as high as you can because we're going to start this journey of soul care. Every one of us, it's a journey that requires God's sofa for us to lay down with Him and to look at our soul. Examine us, God. Search us and know us. Go in our deep places. That's why my hands are raised. I want him to go into the deep places. What eyes don't see. What I don't show others. What I cannot put clothing over. I want you to go there, God. That's where I'm struggling. That's where I'm hurting. That's where I'm frustrated. There, there, there. Now, I need the good physician to go there. In Jesus' name. Amen.